Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Today, we continue our study in the book of Nehemiah, entitled, Favor with Kings. Let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, they're going. I want to pray one more time this morning, and I just simply want to lift up the tragedies that are happening around the world, the tragedy in London last night and uh, yesterday and uh, other places, and it feels like that there's just there's uh, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of um, mistrust, uh, all of those kinds of things that are going on currently, and it's an opportunity, it's a time for the, the body of Christ to, our best thing that we can do is lift this up to the Lord. So would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, uh, we recognize that the world is full of chaos. We, Lord, we recognize that the world is broken and, and that, that sin has infiltrated this world. And Lord, we shouldn't be surprised and yet we are horrified by the things that we read, uh, things that we see, uh, even things that are said, Lord, in the media. We, all, all of the hatred, all of the anger, Lord, we come against that this morning. Uh, in the name of Jesus, and we ask that your peace uh, would replace that. We ask, Lord, that your peace would reign, that people who know you and love you would would pray, Lord, would uh, commit uh, not only their lives, but their world, their country, their families, everything around them to you, and Lord, that you would be lifted up, and somehow, Lord, you would get glory from all that's going on uh, in the world, Lord, that, that people would see your love and see your face uh, so we lift that up before you this morning. We also ask, Lord, that as we open your word, that you would speak to us. Um, Lord, you would encourage us or challenge us, whatever it is that we need today, that you would accomplish that through your word. And so we submit this time. We commit it to you. It's for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Uh, all right, so, uh, oh, Aaron, would you hand me my Bible in there? Because I'm gonna use it. Thank you. Yeah, we, we do kind of look like relatives today. It's a good thing. Hey, um, this is our last Sunday in this series, Favor with Kings. We're gonna look at two particular chapters this morning in, in this, um, but I, I wanna say that, that we've been looking at how God works uh, in the world, uh, that, that Jerusalem was broken down, Jerusalem was desolate, um, there are a couple of things that happened historically. First, Ezra comes back to Jerusalem, and Ezra was a scribe. He was a religious leader. He was a teacher of the law. Ezra led the process to rebuild the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And then uh, Nehemiah came. Uh, he was the cupbearer of the king of Persia. Uh, he was an influential person. He was a person that was completely trusted by the, the most powerful king in the world at that time. And uh, he came and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. He rallied the people of Jerusalem. Uh, they took on this task. And, and, and scholars have, have, to this day, have been amazed at the feat that it took to rebuild those walls, to replace those walls uh, in 52 days. And so we come to another part now that the walls are built. So I'd like you to walk you through just a little bit of a con the context of this. Uh, in the old, uh, the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and uh, Nehemiah are considered one book. 
And so if you want to look at them, you, you consider it as one book, and it starts with this, and I, and I have a little formula up here for you. Um, it's the temple first was rebuilt, then the walls were rebuilt, and then the people were rebuilt. The people were gathered and rallied and brought together. And what that equals God's, uh, is the temple equals worship, the walls equal God's faithfulness and protection, and the people uh, represent God's community or God's family or how God puts us together. And, and so you see the whole idea of Ezra and Nehemiah that first uh, in God's, God's economy, he rebuilds, he has the temple rebuilt, and then they rebuild the walls to remind people that they are God's people, to remind people of his protection and, and his provision and his faithfulness to them. And then the last part is that he rebuilds the people, and that's really what the last chapters of the book of Nehemiah are about. Chapter seven, we've been through chapters one through six, and chapter seven in Nehemiah is kind of a, a linchpin chapter that gives us this transition where we go from rebuilding the wall to what it meant to the people of Jerusalem and what God intended for them to do. And so we look at chapter seven and then chapters eight through 13, the final chapters are uh, what happens to the people of, of Jerusalem and how things change. So they, they uh, uh, the order of reform, the temple, the walls, the people equal worship, God's faithfulness and protection and uh, community. One of the other things that we know is that while the wall is being built, there's opposition constantly. That there's there there are people, Sambalat. We've talked about Tobiah, Geshem. There were outside people uh, opposing the the rebuilding of the walls. There were inside people that were trying to undermine the rebuilding of the walls. That they liked the status quo. They liked the way they had it because they were sort of in charge. They had the money, the power. Uh, they weren't really concerned about people who. Were starving people who were in need. They weren't really concerned about what God wanted his people to do. Uh, they had gotten so caught up in their own stuff that they had forgotten uh, who God had made them and who God had called them to be. And, and so it reminded us because we expect, we should expect as followers of Jesus, we should expect opposition. We should expect to find ourselves in, in moments of conflict and, and that shouldn't be a surprise to us, but often it is. And I had a great quote from a friend, Ben Patterson, that says, no soldier ever goes into battle and says, hey, they're shooting at me. Time out, I wasn't expecting this. Or no football player goes into a game and says, hey, they're trying to tackle me. You don't do that, but sometimes when we kind of approach our lives, we think of ourselves as, you know, we're the good guys, we're the followers of Jesus, we're trying to do things right, why should we find uh, or experience opposition, and yet we know it's a reality, and we have this wonderful picture of Nehemiah as he's facing obstacles, as he's facing opposition, how his trust is in the mission that God had given him, his trust is in God's purpose in the world, and he keeps his eyes on the mission, he keeps his focus on the mission, and his trust for God grows out of that, and his work grows out of that. So now we get to this part in Nehemiah where the wall has been built. In, in chapter seven, verse one, it says this, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, 
appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. Uh, the city was wide and large, but the people within uh, were few and no houses had been rebuilt. So here, this is a fascinating thing. The wall has been rebuilt. It's a time of great triumph. It's, it's a, just a remarkable uh, thing that's happened here. And so we get to this linchpin chapter and, and Nehemiah recognizes the walls have been built. The gates have been put in place. It's very significant, very symbolic to have the gates in place. And now, <laughs> what's the first thing that he does? Is he gives it away. He says, this is never about me. This is never about consolidating my power. This was never about my position or getting more fame or anything, but this was the mission that God had called me to do, to rebuild uh, the wall of Jerusalem, to rebuild the gates, to, to remind people of who God is, to remind people of God's faithfulness, and now I'm called, now that that's done, I'm getting out of the way, and I'm gonna give it away. I'm gonna turn it over to everybody else. Boy, he doesn't really run a victory lap. You know, he doesn't carry the flag, the Jerusalem flag around the, the walls of the city. He doesn't do anything. He finishes the job and then he gives it away. It's a great picture. Again, in the opposition, one of the things that we noticed is, is that he knew he was on a mission that God had given him, that it was about what God was doing, and God is always up to something bigger than we can see on the surface. And now, in, in victory and in completion, he's doing the same thing. He knows that God has been doing something that's bigger than him, bigger than he can see, and so he immediately hands off the power, hands off the authority to two trusted people that he knows love God and will do the right thing. And so he, the first picture we have is Nehemiah giving away power, giving away his authority, setting it up because it was never about him in the first place. It was about the people. One of the other little things that we, we see, we see two other things really, that he sets guards so he knows they're still vulnerable. He knows they still have to be diligent. He knows that uh, they can't let their guard down. And isn't this true for us? I had a friend, uh, an older friend one time, a mentor say to me that the times that we're the most vulnerable in our Christian life is when we've seen the greatest success. Because that's the time in our lives when we think God's really used us to do something or something great's happened. That's the time in our lives that we say, I've kind of deserve a rest or we let our guard down or we think everything's going okay now and that we're the most vulnerable to opposition or, or, or trouble in those moments and so he knew that even with this great victory of rebuilding the wall that they were still vulnerable they couldn't take their eye off the goal they had to stay diligent so they set up uh, guards uh, so they did those things he gave away leadership he gave away power but he continued to challenge them to call them to be diligent and then the fourth thing the third thing that we have in verse four is that the city was wide and large but the people within it were few and no houses had re been rebuilt so he's letting them know that there's still work to be done and and we need to get our we need to get our people back that they're, the, the city's big, but there are very few people. We need to rebuild our city. We need to rebuild Jerusalem. So uh, he, 
Uh, and, then, and then so he gives away his power, he does all those things, and then the next verses, there's a really interesting thing in, in chapter seven, because the, the next thing that he does is, is that he lists the returned exiles. So God put it in his heart, it says in verse five, and it's not, there's not a slide for this, but God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and officials uh, to be enrolled by genealogy. So as people start coming back to Jerusalem, uh, they, they create these genealogies, they create a list of everybody that's gonna live in the city and around Jerusalem, because it matters. Um, you know, if historically genealogy really mattered because uh, the prophecies were uh, that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And so to have a record of all the genealogies, to have a record of all of the people that came back to Jerusalem, uh, to have a record of what tribe they came from, what their family was, was important to the historic data that was gonna be necessary years later when you go to the Gospel of Luke or you go to the Gospel of Matthew and you see the genealogies uh, that where Jesus came uh, and how they could trace the lineage of Jesus uh, from the very beginning all the way to his birth, uh, that, that we can thank Nehemiah for those staying intact, we can thank Nehemiah for, for that, his part of it, because he made sure that the genealogy was clear. He made sure that, that there was a record. Uh, Caleb, my son Caleb in his book, Favor with Kings, talks about this moment when uh, he turned 21 and his grandma uh, gave him a book, this um, kind of an album, and it was, um, it was a, a memories book. It was Grandma Remembers. And uh, in the book, there were pictures of, uh, and there was an, kind of a ancestries.com list, you know, of tracing the family back. And then there were pictures of, of her childhood and, and her family and her parents when they got married. And, and she, she builds this chronology for Caleb. Uh, and, and then she did for all of her grandkids, but she built this chronology for Caleb uh, being the oldest grandchild. Uh, and it kind of went from uh, her growing up and her family and her, her lineage, uh, then to uh, when she started her family and are growing up, and then she started listing the grandchildren and pictures of their lives, and in the margin she wrote uh, little memories. Um, she you know, gave them some scripture, some prayers, some things that were really significant to her, some things to remind him of who he was and where he came from and, um, and what he was part of. And he still has that uh, to this day. It's still really important to him because it reminds him of who he is. It reminds him of where he came from. And the other part of the genealogies is that it's recorded to remind them of where they came from to remind them of who they were. So he's creating this historical data, but he's also creating this personal information to say, you know what, you belong to these people. This is your lineage. This is God's people. Remember what God has done for you. Remember where you came from. And so it all creates that. And then there's a third reason, I think, that Nehemiah puts the genealogies in there, and that is simply this. Names matter. Names matter to God. We, we think, uh, you know, and I've had people even recently tell me, you know, it's really hard to get my head around the fact that, that God knows what all of us need and he knows all of our names and, and all of those things. And, and yet, what we see in the scripture is that names that really matter to God, that who you are really matters to him. 
that God is a personal God, that God is a relational God. And, and there's one point that, that Jesus reminds us in the Gospels that God has numbered every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He knew us before we were born. You know, he knew us when we were in our mother's womb. All of those things are part of God's character and names really matter to him. And that's one of the reasons that, that names really matter to me. And names really matter to all of us. Um, because it gives us value. It gives us a certain level of importance and so we work really hard to memorize names here. And if I'm struggling with your name, you might sneak into my office sometime, and, or might not, um, but if you did, tragically, you would, might find a card like this, and you might even find your name on it, uh, because what I'll do is if I'm having a hard time with names sticking in my head, I'll write them down and um, keep them on my desk, and on Monday mornings at staff meeting, I'll ask Kirsten or somebody, or Sherry, or somebody that's meeting everybody, and I'll say, okay, now, uh, tell me more about these people. Do you know these guys? Because I'm trying to get their names down. I'm trying to remember them, and, and so I keep these little three-by-five cards with names on them. I'm not a genius, okay? I just write stuff down. But names really do matter. I, it stuck with me because years ago I had a, a guy who's now a PhD in psychology and he's a great therapist and all this and great believer. And he told me that one of the reasons that he came to Christ is because I had met him at a camp and I saw him months later and I said, hey Don, how are you doing? And he was so overwhelmed that somebody like had remembered his name that had just met him one time he was so moved by it that it was how valued he felt that that was one of the things that led him to respond to Jesus because he felt that cared for, he felt that valued. Names really matter. And so when we look uh, at, the, at Nehemiah and we see that they listed the genealogy, we know that there's a historic perspective. Uh, we know that uh, there's a family perspective to it, but we also know that to God, all of our names matter and he knows us. John 10 talks about the fact that, that, the, that we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd knows us, and we recognize his voice, and that's what God wants us to remember. All right, so he reads the, he has the genealogies, and then we're gonna jump to chapter eight, and in verse one it says this, and all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate, and uh, the, the original Watergate, by the way. And they told Ezra, it's two words, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. That means children, right, kids? Anybody that was old enough to understand what he was gonna read uh, was invited on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and then the women and those who could understand it, and the ears of all the people uh, were attentive to the book of law. Now, the book of law, you know, is the first five books of the Old Testament. And, and so we tend to think of the book of law as the laws, and it's some big list that we don't remember, that, you know, it's boring, whatever it is. But that's not what was going on that day. First of all, I want to tell you how cool this is. <laughs> because they all gathered at the gate, 
And one of the significant things about gates is they were also meeting places. So they gathered all the, at, everybody at the water gate and they had Ezra come and he read the book of the law. And did you catch the timing from early morning, from the beginning of the day to midday? So approximately six hours. That's awesome. There's a six-hour sermon and they all listened attentively. Come on, seriously, okay, what I'm telling you here. Do you want to know sort of the biblical idea of a sermon? Here we go. Six hours, I think that's, I think that's, and they were all attentive, come on, seriously, I'm looking at some of you who are nodding off. Okay, it's really a great, okay, I'm, I'm just messing with you, but they were all there, and they were all attentive to the stories, and here's what we know about the book of the law. Yeah, the, the, there's laws in there, but it, but it begins with the story of creation, and then it moves on to the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and these, these colorful stories, these stories of how God called people and they were imperfect people and they messed up and yet God redeemed them and he was faithful to them. And, and then we go to Joseph and that's like a soap opera. I'm sure there have been TV, you know, we just don't know who they were, but there were there TV shows that are built around this idea that Joseph's life and all that he went through and how God used him, and how God was faithful, and all of those things, and, and we move on from there to Moses, and God rescuing his people from Egypt, and can you imagine that all of these people are gathered, and Ezra is probably, you know, doing his best job to read this with passion and power, and they're sitting at attention, and they're listening for hours and hours to the stories of God's faithfulness, and God's provision, and all that he's done for his people, and it says that they wept as they heard the stories. They wept as he read. They were reminded of who they were and God's faithfulness, and there it was right in front of them. And it was overwhelming. And they had that experience that day. And it says this, uh, in the, in, uh, starting in verse nine, it says in Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites taught the people and said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites, cal Levites calmed, every, um, calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is so great. So wonderful. This is so important so here's what happens they read he reads the law six hours they're there he reads the law they hear the word of god they hear the stories of god's faithfulness they're reminded of who they are and how far they've gone and they wept over god's faithfulness but they also wept over their own sin and their own forgetfulness and they're reminded of how much god loves them and how little they've appreciated and how little they've done and, and they were over so overwhelmed by all of that 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 they wept and and nehemiah and ezra said to them don't weep yes all of that is true but look at what god has done and look at how much god loves you 
and this is a day of rejoicing, and I love this part because he says, I want you to go, and I want you to have a party now because God's redeemed you, because God loves you, because God's protected you, because God's rebuilt your city. He's restored your heritage. He's brought you back together. This is a time of rejoicing. There'll be a time of weeping. There'll be a time of compassion and repentance, but right now, we want you to go and have a party And while you're partying, don't forget people who don't have anything. God always adds that. This isn't a party about us. This is a party about God's faithfulness and God's love for us and all that he's done. And so in the middle of that party, he says, I don't want you to forget who you are. I don't want you to leave out people in need. Everybody is invited to this party. Everybody is included in this party. If they don't have food, you give them food. If they don't have anything to drink, you give them something to drink because nobody is left out of my parties. And they're all included and they have this celebration They have this great party because of who God is and what God has done. They worship, they celebrate God's faithfulness and protection and his community. We learn to worship by receiving forgiveness, by living in community, by remembering God's faithfulness. And we're on a mission And it's critical that when we get off the mission, that we get off center, uh, that when we move away from what God's called us to do, that we need to worship and we need moments to remember God's faithfulness and we need to be in community so that we encourage and we help each other. When our sons were in grade school, uh, we did this thing one day. We, uh, one of us usually drove them to school and uh, Um, we were living in California. Caleb was in sixth grade, Josh fourth, and Aaron first, I believe. And and, um, so one random day, uh, we were driving them to school, and it didn't occur to them, it was odd that we were both driving them to school, but we drive into the little parking area, their little drop-off area, and it curves around, you know, and back out, that little roundabout thing, and, and we're going really slow, but we don't stop and we just keep driving and we don't stop and they don't get out and and we get back to the street and Caleb says, Dad, you didn't stop the car. We're still in the car. We didn't, you know, we didn't get out and 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 I said, Oh man, what did we do? Oh, I can't believe this. Okay, you know what? We're we're out. Let's just let's just go to Disneyland. So we pulled donuts from out from under the seat. We'd already called the school and got them off and we got orange juice out and we had donuts and orange juice and we drove to Anaheim and went, spent the day in Disneyland doing everything that we possibly could that day. And we just celebrated being a family and celebrated them because we love them. Because they're our sons. Because we love our family. We didn't need an occasion. In fact, we didn't want it to be on an occasion. We just wanted it to be random. We just wanted to have this day that was a total surprise and, and we'd go to Disneyland and we'd have a great time together and enjoy being together and do all the rides and all this stuff as fast and as hard as we possibly could. And, and we knew that it was a day that none of us, Jen and I, the boys, none of us would ever forget because it was just such a special time. And, and I believe with all my heart that's what God wanted for the Jews and and the Hebrews in in Jerusalem that day. He wanted them to remember that day, that party, that special time, how much 
He loved them. How incredibly wonderful they were to him. And so I'm gonna, here's my last thing this morning. Um, it fits my gift of repetition. It's one of my favorite verses. So you can probably all quote it with me, but it's Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord your God is in your midst. Don't ever forget that. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. You get the idea? He rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now let me just stop for a second because I have this one great theological premise. You know, I haven't found it in any commentaries yet, but I'm sure we will. That is that God has the biggest refrigerator in the universe. And when we do something for him, we might feel like, you know what, my artwork is like drawing stick men. My, what I'm trying to do is so bad, it's so you know, basic, it's not a big deal. But every time we do something, God takes that picture that we've drawn, whether it's bad or good or stick men or not, you know, something else, and he puts it on his refrigerator. Just like we used to do with our kids. And he's gotta have a really big refrigerator for that. It's not about how good we perform, it's about our heart, it's about our desire to please him. And so he rejoices over us with gladness. He quiets us when we need quiet with his love. He calms us down just like the, uh, Ezra did and the, and the priest did that day. And then my favorite part is that he will exult over you with loud singing. Is that awesome or what? That sometimes when God thinks about you, he bursts into song. Have you ever considered that idea? That God sings over you. And, and it's in, in the, the, the context of the verse, it, it, feels, it feels kind of spontaneous that, that, that he thinks about us and he loves us so much. He's so, you're so important to him that he bursts into song over you. He exalts over you with singing. That's how amazing you are to him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you matter to the God who created everything. So this morning we worship and we remember God's faithfulness and we live in community because God has been so faithful to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Nehemiah, for how gracious you've been uh, to give us these reminders uh, to remember your faithfulness, to remember your love, that, that Lord, you even know our names, you know our heart's desire, you know our weakest moments, and you know our best moments. And still, Lord, you exalt over us with loud singing. That's amazing to me. I simply wanna thank you for that this morning, Lord. Lord, make us watchful, Make us grateful, um, Lord, and make us a people who know how to celebrate what you've done. Lord, help us not to live in the crisis and opposition, but Lord, help us to live in your faithfulness and in your provision for us.
And we will give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in for our continuing study in the book of Nehemiah. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, let's rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. Maybe you've just forgotten how good and gracious God has been in your life, and it would be great to have someone pray with you. And then also at the table in the back, um, you can write your prayer requests down, and we'll uh, pray for you and with you. Um, even during VBS, we pray for all those requests. <laughs> you know, uh, so we promise to do that and be faithful in that. Um, here's my prayer this morning is that we would be reminded of how precious we are to the Father, how much he loves us, how often he thinks of us. And I'd love you to just, to, I'd love you just to get a little time sometime and imagine God singing over you. What would that look like? What's that feel like? That when God sees you, when God thinks of you, he loves you so much that he breaks into a song. What does that do for your heart? To know that God exults over you and it says with loud singing, he's not just doing a little kumbaya thing, you know? He's belting one out because he loves you so much. And we are here because we express that love for Jesus, that love that God has given us in our love for each other. So I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless.